welcome to a rather special Scotswayhe podcast, where we once again collaborate with Edinburgh International Book Festival and Publishing Scotland. My name is Alistair Braidwood, and you're listening to the Shaping Scotland Stories New Voices podcast. In a moment, I'll be talking to representatives from eight of Scotland's publishers who talk all about working with new writers and new voices and a lot more. But first, I spoke to the Executive Director of Edinburgh International Book Festival, Sophie Moxham. Now, to properly introduce this podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by the Executive Director of the Edinburgh International Book Festival, Sophie Moxon. Hello, Sophie. Hi, Alistair. Hi. So first of all, I wanted to ask you, the title of the event and this podcast is Shaping Scotland Stories, New Voices. How important is it to the book festival that new voices are being published? Um, I mean, it's absolutely fundamental, to be honest, without new voices getting published, the book festival would you know, stagnate and wither and die. Uh, you know, we ultimately, the book festival, we try and create conversations and those conversations need to be as diverse as possible. And that includes, uh, that means including writers at every stage of their career, um, you know, to create that really, really rich dialogue. Um, and to be honest as well, the new voices of today are going to become potentially the very established voice of the future. You know, Ian Rankin was a new voice when he appeared at the book festival in, in the 80s. So, you know, we see it as part of, our, part of our role to nurture those voices, give them a platform. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, can't, I can't quite underline strongly enough how, how important it is to us. And I guess, you know, the Edinburgh Book Festival, it's been going on so long, it can take that overview and see how that affects it. Um, whereas perhaps there's a pressure if a festival's quite fresh to get think, well, who's going to get bums on seats? Who's going to be the big names? But as you say, it's a kind of short-sighted view if you take that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I mean, you, um, new writers are, are embedded across our program. You know, I, I don't I don't think new writers necessarily need to be kind of corralled in a kind of new voices strand, though obviously that can work really well. You know, I mean, the, the approach we take is, is like I say, embedding new writers throughout. So yeah, we have showcase events, but we also create conversations and discussions and debates that include a, a range of voices from writers at all, all stages in their career. And that feeds into my next question, which was going to be how the festival supports new writers. I mean, you mentioned a little bit about that, but is there, are there other things that you do? Yeah, well, like I said, the, the, the main thing we, we try and do is, is obviously, like I say, embed writers throughout the programme. So it's not just a kind of new writers showcase, but not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with those. You know, they, they're, they're really valuable opportunities to engage with and experience a whole, a whole range of writers. But ensuring new voices are, 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 are yeah, across the whole programme ensuring their books are in the bookshop you know that yeah. the new writers are you know, all our writers are given the opportunity to sign their books i mean another strand of work we do um are, i guess you'd call them cross art form commissions where we work with writers and put them together with other creative practitioners theater makers musicians filmmakers um, and allow them to explore how unpacking their books in a different art form, you know, how that, how that, how audiences can engage with that. So we, again, we offer those kind of opportunities to a whole range of authors, in, including, including, you know, relatively new voices. I mean, looking through the, the festival programme for this year, 
what's jumped out is that it is so much more than just a book festival. There are, you know, the, as you say, there's pieces of theatre, there's cross-genre events going on and, and mm -hmm. so much more. Now, the New Voices event is part of the Business of Book series of events. Can you tell us a bit about that series and why it was so important to put on? So we've been doing Business of Books for a few years now. My brilliant colleague, Kate Seiler, has you know, really, really taken it to, to new heights this year. It's really, it's really evolved over the, few, over the last few years. I mean, the reason we started doing it is we were so aware that the book festival in, in some ways played a role as a kind of unofficial hub for the sector. So there was all the, the, there was almost this kind of slightly hidden side to it where it was a gathering place for the people who, who were in the business of books, agents, publishers, um, you know, other writers, other festival programmers. So we tried, we started to try and create events that particularly played to that audience and created a more, if you like, structured way for them to gather, debate, explore, explore relevant issues. Um, so that's where it was, that's where it's born from. And then we started to realize that whilst yeah, it was an industry program, there was also a more general audience who were really interested in learning more about, about how our industry works. And so the business of books now, it, it, it straddles, it straddles both worlds. And, and we, yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a public program as well. And it also brings together writers and publishers in a way that perhaps didn't happen previously, you know, it was, it was a different relationship. Was that something that you saw as important? Yeah, definitely. I think, like I say, it, it's looking at all the relationships that are implicit in, in what we do and creating, I guess, like I say, more formal opportunities and platforms for them to for them to engage in discourse. And, and like I said, particularly talk about the challenges and issues that the industry is facing, how, how we can improve, how we can do better as an industry. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's all really important, and it's, and it's all really it's all really fascinating as well. And I, I can't wait to see how how the business of books continues to evolve over the coming years. And uh, shaping Scotland's stories, new voices is in partnership with Publishing Scotland. How important is that relationship? Oh, Publishing Scotland is a really important relationship. I mean, we've been working with Publishing Scotland for years um you know it, we we we've got a great relationship and you know we also enjoy really good relationships as, as, as colleagues if, if you like you know there's some really great almost kind of personal relationships there between the organizations um but yeah i mean a, 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 again another fundamental part of what we do is providing a showcase for contemporary scottish publishing and it's something that we really really would really want to regrow i mean obviously during the pandemic so many things had to be compressed had to change but as we continue to breathe out over the next few years it's it's something we really 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 want to grow and i'm just really glad that we're getting to work together on the on this event this year well sophie thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me oh you're so welcome it's been a pleasure alistair thank you i'm joined now by heather mcdade from 404 inc hello heather hi so what can you tell us about 404 inc and its history um, so 404 Inc is an independent publisher founded by myself and my co-founder Laura Jones. This was like back in 2016 when we were both quite recent graduates and I think our ethos back then was we just thought publishing could be a bit more loud and a bit more fun uh, when publishers were publishing their books they were very like politely being like oh look here's a great book and we we're like you can be rowdier you can shout about books and that was kind of something we wanted to do is just find books that excited us 
and then just kind of shout about them. And I think six years on, that's still very much the ethos. Um, if a book comes into 404 and it excites us, we're just like, we feel like we can do something with this. And then our goal is to just get it in front of as many people as possible. I was going to say as obnoxiously as possible, maybe not obnoxiously, but as loudly and as like excitedly as possible. So yeah, I'd say that's... Is it still the two of you that make that decision? Yeah, so it's Laura and I make all the kind of core decisions and then we work with like a freelance network to kind of make it happen, so... And what areas do you cover or specialise in? Um, so we publish fiction, non-fiction and poetry. We've done a few poetry books so far. Uh, fiction has been our main thing. So we published Chris McQueer's first short story collections, Helen McClory's first few collections. We've recently been working with Elle Nash, who's an amazing author who lives in America, but has actually relocated to Glasgow now. Um, we have some novels now, which is kind of a recent development. So... Uh, that's the fiction side. Non-fiction, we have collections like Nasty Women. Our first essay collection was quite a big one for us. Um, then we have some memoir meets investigations. Um, and then we have our new non-fiction series, Inklings, which is every month or two, we publish a pocket-sized book, which is about 20,000 words. And it's kind of like big ideas in small packages is how we describe it. And so um, I'd say overall more like contemporary fiction and non-fiction but really it's just like books that kind of excite you or make you think or just evoke some kind of feeling or reaction is what we're looking for in our books so and tell us a little bit more about the inkling series because that is done in a different way yeah so our inkling series when we ask for book pitches we usually like most publishers asking for a sample of the writing and a project that's vastly underway but for inklings we just ask basically if you could write a book about anything what would it be and you pitch it in 200 words. And then there's like a small process between that and um, commission just to make sure that it could be a big project. But really we just want people to have the freedom to not have committed to a project and be years down the road because that's like a lot of barriers to be like, you have to be set on this idea, you have to do it. And we just kind of give people free reign to be like, if you could write one thing, what would it be? And some of the books have been about um, <laughs> the queer revolution of Schitt's Creek. We have one about Prince's fashion. We have a lot of lived experience books um, exploring kind of issues across society and history, um, stuff looking at structural reimaginings of university. It's a very broad range, actually. Our new one that's coming out is um, They Came to Slay, which is looking at the queer culture of Dungeons and Dragons. And that's, yeah, it's just a kind of a big variety. We kind of pitch it to the curious reader, like, so you don't have to commit to a 300 page book to get a sense of something. It's just like a little dipping of the toe. And then if it's something you're interested in, you can like kind of go on from there, so. And we'll be talking about new voices in a moment, but another great way of getting new voices out there, I suppose. Yeah, it's been really good because I'm um, on a, I guess on a boring level, we used to run a literary magazine and that was like a really good way for us to find new writers who might go on to do bigger projects and we had to close it a few years ago. So this is another way that we find all these amazing writers, get to work with them on a shorter form. Inklids are kind of like a replacement for the magazine in that we get to work with writers in a shorter form. And then if they have book projects down the road, we could we have already worked with them or we can pinpoint, oh, you're really good. We think there's a book in you or something like that. Um, Liam Coneman, who we published his debut novel earlier this year, he came to us through the Inkling series and was a dream to work with, amazing writer. And then when he was also like, oh, here's my novel, we were just like, we'll take both. And it's just, it's like a nice way of like, seeing what's out there again without having to be like you have to have a full book you have to do this it's just kind of like finding people on the radar and in terms of the business of publishing uh, kind of what advice would you give to others or those thinking of getting involved I think for us 
it's like twofold. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of Laura as well, but I think she would agree with me on this. Is like when you talk about the business of books, just always remember it's a business. So I think we all come to it because we love books and we're passionate about it. But at the end of the day, it's still a business. So it's not, I guess, not to get jaded or like surprised or caught off guard by that. Like sometimes there will just be boring tasks or there will be stuff that you're like, I really want to do this stuff, but you can't do it then. It's just always remembering that's part of like a bigger picture. Um, and on a personal side, we're always like, the things that you're most passionate about are the things that have the highest risk of burning you out. So it's also just like an awareness. I don't mean to be like, after all the talk of books being like, books are just books, but they are just books. And like, it's not worth your well-being. So we're always like, be passionate about it, but have boundaries is kind of our personal mantra that we try to pass on. Yeah, that's interesting. Know when to kind of walk away or just you know, take the time. Um, and we were meant talking about new voices with uh, uh, earlier on and this is part of this thread. How important is it that new voices are published and what are the challenges in, in doing that? I think that's really important, especially as an independent publisher. Like we, we collective independent publishers are like the people who are discovering a lot of the new voices that then the big publishers will come along and then amplify later down the line. And I think as well, there's so few opportunities to really go from writing a manuscript to like the dream advance to like the big um, publisher. There's all these steps in between. And I think independent publishers are really good for being on the ground and seeing who's coming through and just spotlighting amazing writers. And it's just really important because the publishing industry is not alone in this, but it's quite bad compared to some others of being like quite insular and exclusionary and the same people benefiting from the same structures. And there's just, yeah, people just need to kind of keep promoting new voices and helping people get their foot in the door and then also keeping the door open for other people to come through. Like, otherwise it's just not going to change. So, yeah. And finally, can you talk about three of your current or future titles that you're excited about? Yes. Um, so earlier this year, we published the debut novel, the Arena of the Unwell by Liam Coneman. So as I said earlier, he came through our Inkling series, but Laura and I are both massive music fans. We've always wanted to publish a book about music and we just never found the right one. But um, Liam captures just something amazing about the music scene. Like he writes about it from experience, but he just captures like mental ill health, not being, uh, he captures like mental ill health in a really original and like realistic way. And he just writes, He's like funny, um, he writes like sex really good. He just writes all the stuff that is usually more difficult for a writer to do. It just comes really naturally to him. And it's just such an amazing novel. And I think um, as 30 somethings who grew up in the gig scene, like it's a book that really like speaks to us. And I think now that it's out, we're seeing it's reaching kind of similar people. Uh, the next book is Elle Nash's short story collection, Nudes. So um, Elle, was just an amazing writer I don't really know what else to say about her she's just one of those she's so naturally talented and her writing is really like dark and evocative and I think the best way to describe her is like her writing like evokes a reaction so that you don't you don't passively read Elle Nash you usually like read a story and then you're just like oh I need to take a break from that yeah. but I think for us that's like the most exciting thing like she deals with like women and I mean, a lot of working class women the complications of that but it's just like very confrontational writing and it's not intentionally confrontational like trying to provoke you but it's just it forces you to like look at yourself or look at society or look at these questions or morality and all this kind of stuff and I just think um, she's very underrated so obviously she's only recently moved to the UK but I think she's just going to keep publishing work that is very like powerful and amazing so I think going forward there's just a lot to come from Elle. And 
The last book is Carrie Kills a Man, which is out in November, but it's a memoir by the broadcaster and musician Carrie Marshall. And it's about, well, the tagline that she gave us, which is better than anything we could come up with, is how a depressed suburban dad, no, how a transgender rock star killed a depressed suburban dad. And it's her story of coming out and her story of her life as a trans woman and just all that comes with that. But even when she pitched it she was just like this is not a misery memoir and it's not to say that there's not a place for like dealing with the darker side of it and the harder side and there is a lot of that in the book but she's just so funny and she was just like um she's like um uh, my life is funny like I go about the I laugh all the time so why would my book not do that and I just think it's such a good book and it's just so joyful and I'm really excited for people to read that one so I can't wait to read it myself it sounds fantastic Thank you so much, Heather, for taking the time to have a chat. It's been great talking to you. You too. I'm delighted to be joined now by Rebecca Wojturska, Managing Director of Hunt Publishing. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. So first of all, can you talk a bit about Hunt Publishing and its history? Yeah, so Hunt Publishing is a small independent press based in Fife. Um, we're kind of dedicated to exploring both traditional and contemporary Gothic and horror literature. Um, overall, we just try to hold a flickering candle uh, to global and underrepresented voices. So you've spoken a little bit already about what areas do you specialise in. Maybe you can see why you specialise in those areas. Yeah, so I've grown up um, always loving kind of horror. You know, I grew up on a diet of goosebumps and point horror. Um, and then I studied kind of gothic literature at university. Um, I did a publishing master's. And it all just came together into thinking, um, I want to see more of this type of genre, but I want to see it without some of the tropes that I don't enjoy. Um, so I thought I may as well do it then. So, so that's kind of why I set it up. Um, it, it originally was gonna be just Gothic literature, but I did expand into pretty much immediately into horror and generally dark fiction. Um, just, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself too much um, in, in that sense. So I'm pretty loose with the definition, but we don't publish other genres such as um, science fiction or fantasy, for example. Okay. So how this uh, panel is looking at new voices in particular, how important is it that new voices are published and what are the challenges in doing so? Maybe particularly in such a kind of uh, um, small or niche genres. Yeah, so I mean, we think it's hugely important to hear voices from people who have been historically marginalised or underrepresented. Um, it is an issue across the board, um, but in horror particularly, as I mentioned before, there can be harmful tropes, um, such as othering of certain people um, and pr presenting those people as a threat. Um, so that that's kind of where horror um, fails, I think. And it's an issue that Haunt is trying to um, address. So I guess part of the um, challenges in doing that is a lot of people are so wedded to these tropes. Um, maybe they don't understand why they're problematic or harmful, but so um, kind of doing the work around that. And also just ensuring that people know that you're a safe space for marginalized voices, that they're someone, you're someone they can come to with their work and trust and know that they're going to be in good hands. So kind of building that reputation um, as a newer publisher is definitely a challenge. Um, and we try to tackle it just by um, by being us. So the kind of work that we publish, um, just the kind of people we are. So um, yeah, I think those are the kind of challenges in horror at the minute. 
So with that in mind, are you almost entirely dealing with new writers coming through rather than people that have been doing for a while? If that's what you're, if you're looking to kind of carve a new niche and, and, and with different representations, is it new writers that you're looking to? Yeah, so we do a, a bit of a mix. Um, some of our writers have written for um, a while, like short stories, for example. Um, some of them are completely new um, and emerging. So um, I think we have kind of carved ourselves out for newer voices at the moment, um, which is great because it means we can take a chance on people that might get overlooked by larger publishers, um, which is always a nice thing to be able to do. And is it mainly Scottish writers that you're looking at? Because I mean, there's the Gothic tradition obviously is, is, is a global one. Are you looking at people from all around the place or is it just more uh, national? So um, ideally in the long run, we would like to see um, more global kind of Gothic and explore Gothic tropes in different countries and see how that is explored and how that manifests. Um, we did start, our first book was um, Scottish Gothic because obviously we wanted to start at home and kind of see how um, that gothic tradition which is so intrinsic in Scotland and intertwined with Scottish storytelling we wanted to see how that had manifested throughout the centuries so we had stories from you know decades centuries ago uh, as well as contemporary ones in our first book so um, yeah we're pretty we're pretty open to to the world and in terms of the business of books, um, what advice would you give to others or those thinking of getting involved? So if someone, so I run this company um, by myself and um, I have an in-house copy editor as well um, and an office dog, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, um, but in Scotland, there are a lot of small independent publishing companies like Haunt. And I'd just say, um, get to know those people. And there's such a strong community here and everyone is so lovely and willing to help. Um, so I'd say utilize that. Um, when I set Haunt up, I booked multiple, um, what you call them, consultations with people who were already doing what I wanted to do. So I just paid them for their time and asked them loads of questions. Um, and that's how I found out what I needed to do to set up a business to start with, um, you know, to register everything, how to even publish a book, how, what do you even do? Um, so yeah, I would recommend, um, paying other people to help fill in the gaps in your knowledge because I think trying to do everything yourself is unfeasible and would lead to a lesser quality product or lesser quality experience for everyone involved so I would say loop in the experts where you can um and yeah I think for me personally I needed help with things like contracts um business planning that kind of thing so um yeah and that kind of network as you're saying I've I think it's interesting, I've spoken to other publishers, is that there is a sense, a kind of perhaps a general sense that we're kind of all in this together, small publishers, yeah. let's help each other in the ways that we can, let's share knowledge, let's share ideas. That's what you seem to uh, be promoting as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is one thing, obviously, with the pandemic, there were a lot of, um, we didn't have those networking opportunities in person as much. So um, I tried setting up like a Discord server and, you know, things to loop people together, but it's it's just never as good as being in person and just chatting and what books are you doing? And, oh, have you had this issue? And so, yeah, it's great. Um, I went to the Publishing Scotland 
uh, conference and that was just fantastic being back with everyone again yeah. and picking brains and having my brains picked very zombie horror <laughs> sounding but uh, <laughs> yeah and you mentioned doing a master's in publishing is that right yeah I did um, a master's in English English literature and then I did a, a second one in publishing and do you think that is um, that's been helpful to you yeah, it was so I did it in Anglia Ruskin in Cambridge. I've heard the Sterling and Edinburgh Napier courses are fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it helped me kind of get a grips of the an overview of publishing. Um, so I'm, re I'm really grateful for that. But I wouldn't say someone would have to have one to work in publishing. Um, but they are great for internships, networking, getting that knowledge. Um, but equally, I think publishing is looking for people who don't come from that background as well just to yeah. make it more diverse because obviously um universities can be a barrier to certain roles so um but no I, I enjoyed it can't complain and you mentioned your list so finally can you tell us about three of your current and future titles you're excited about yeah of course so I'll, I'll pick like a range of types so um one book the one that we pushed to 2021 was where decay sleeps by anna chung and that was a collection of 36 poems, all Gothic, of course. Um, and it blends kind of like traditional Gothic imagery, um, modern technology, Chinese folklore, like all these different kind of elements. Um, and there's a lot of dark humor throughout. Like there's a poem about monsters. If they were on Tinder, what would their bio say? <laughs> so, so that's that's a great um, poetry collection. Um, we recently published When Other People Saw Us, They Saw the Dead. And that was edited by Lauren T. Davila. Um, and that is um, an anthology of, I think there's about 24 stories in there and um, all written by uh, BIPOC writers. Um, and it deals with, you know, like memory, grief, belonging, but also themes of white supremacy, colonialism, uh, immigration, for example. Um, and that's been doing really, really well. That came out in May. And then in December, we are publishing our first novel, and that is The Gingerbread Men by um, Joanna Corrance, who is based in the Highlands. Um, it doesn't sound scary, but it is. <laughs> so I'm pitching it as like a Highland hotel horror right. where um, men go to a hotel to work for the woman who manages the hotel, but they can never leave. And it's always snowing and they don't know why. So it's kind of like um, The Shining meets Angela Carter in a way. So um, I'm very excited for that. Um, I know you said three books, but <laughs> I did just, <laughs> I know, I'm cheating. I successfully crowdfunded um, a queer gothic anthology recently called Unthinkable. So I'm just working out the, the final plans for that. Um, so yeah, it's a very busy year for Haunt. <laughs> well, Rebecca, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been lovely to chat to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. I'm now joined by Sarah Hunt, publisher and founder of Saraband Books. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Alistair. Lovely to be here. Nice to see you, as ever. And thank you for joining me. Um, first of all, can you tell us about Saraband and its history? So we started in 1994 in the US, um, kind of because I was working over there at the time and for one reason or another I decided to go to the loan and um, set up Saraband. The kind of aim of it if you like was filling gaps for overlooked voices because that was really a much worse problem at the time even though it still is now. 
Um, so some of our early titles, we, we did illustrated nonfiction at that point, and some of our early titles um, were on um, women in history, um, particular kind of ethnic groups and so on, such as the civil rights movement, Native American women. Um, we did a book called Pioneer Women about the US Old West, which is still in print with the University of Oklahoma Press now. Um, but anyway, that was our main focus. We did also some history, arts and architecture. And then in Glasgow, uh, sorry, in 2000, I moved to Glasgow. And um, from there, things kind of changed quite radically in response to sort of industry changes. So in 2011, we took our first fiction, which was kind of a response to digital marketing, digital formats and so on, big kind of revolutions in that side of publishing. Um, and soon after we opened Contraband, which was a kind of response to Scandi Noir really, because there wasn't a sort of uh, clever upmarket literary sort of crime and noir type of imprint, um, and certainly not for Scottish authors. So that started in 2014, our first releases of which Graham McRae Burnett was one of them. So yes, those those are the sort of some of the milestones. Uh, Graham, we're now on his second Booker Prize listing, which is fantastic. Um, but we have also had listings and, and wins in lots of other kind of big prestigious awards, the Wainwright Prize, the Rathbones Folio, Polari, Paul Torday, Theakston's Prize, McIlvany, lots of them. And, and regional ones as well. And what's really gratifying is that we have had a lot of wins in first novel or first book awards. Several of those have been Saltire, Scotland's National Book Awards, um, but others too. So uh, that's always very exciting. And I suppose that apart from our publishing genres, we we are as much as possible kind of ethical and sustainable um, and, and trying to, to be good people in, in what we do. Mm -hmm. And do you even think about areas that you focus on or do you cast, your, you know, you've covered a lot of different um, genres and styles there. Is it just down to the individual book? Yes, good writing is hugely a part of it sometimes if we have a series that is successful um particularly in non-fiction then we'll try to build on that um and kind of commission something actively but largely it just has to do with the writing that comes in and and does it appeal to our areas where we have contacts and we can bring something of our own to the book and really believe in it. You've spoken uh, earlier about getting uh, awards for um, first novels and things like that. And this podcast and the event are looking at new voices. How important is it that new voices are published and what are the challenges in doing that? I mean, I think if you, if you think of it the other way around um, and, and just bear in mind that every single most influential, groundbreaking, best-selling, outstanding voice in 
fiction or non-fiction, was at one point a new voice. Yeah. So, you know, that that could be someone who's writing in a very well-established tradition or genre, but it, equally it could be something completely original that, that seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if we don't have new voices, then we're just going to have the same old. Yeah. Um, so so it's it it's completely crucial to the future of books, reading, everything, literature no, I think in general. I, I mean, that is taking the big picture, but as you know yourself, sometimes people focus on the they look for the sure things and there's always a, a challenge or a risk with a, a newer writer, perhaps. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you've talked there a little bit about the 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 business of publishing, um, but what advice would you give to others? Uh, thinking of getting involved or beginning even? So beginning, I would say um, to take a job wherever you can find one in any department because once you're in, it's much easier to move around for your next job once you have some experience. Um, also, this, this varies by the nations around the UK, but the apprenticeship model is a good way in if you can sort of get in that way, as well as, of course, the master's um, and undergraduate publishing degrees. Um, definitely book selling, working in a bookshop is really useful experience and blogging and making yourself aware of the industry and starting to look at anything you can do to, to, to impress when you get an interview I think those are the biggest things but I mean I think the other thing I would say is that where we are now with this massive cost of living and economic crisis about to really hit harder mm. than ever I think just just take a step back and ask yourself do you really really want to be in publishing because it's not that well paid there are lots of more secure jobs and there are hundreds of really good things you can do relating to books without being in publishing so particularly blogging mm -hmm. or you know becoming a book influencer so ask yourself if you're willing to to take that journey in publishing before you before you you know make that commitment simply because it it isn't the easiest career path, although it's very rewarding if you get lucky. Mm. And finally, could you talk us through three of your current or future titles that you're excited about? Well, obviously, my great excitement of, of this year is Case Study by Graham McRae Burnett. It is really one of the best books I've ever read. I think it's his best book yet. Um, it's hard. I'm so consumed by this title at the moment because it's just been listed for the long listed for the Booker Prize. So it's hard to stay, take a step back and and just simply describe it for yeah. someone who hasn't read it, because it's sort of clever and layered and and um, it doesn't fit a particular genre other than literary fiction, but it's very funny. Um, it's really clever. It's set in the 1960s and it, it kind of it's about someone who goes to see a kind of rogue, charismatic, very unethical psychotherapist. 
Um, so that's my first one. Um, speaking of something that's been out a few months now and is a completely different thing, I'm very excited about uh, a memoir by Catherine Simpson called One Body, A Retrospective. Mm -hmm. And that's it, it's beautifully written. Again, it's very clear. It's a very important and topical and relevant book. Um, it, again, it's funny. Um, but Catherine it talks about her experience um, inhabiting her body and the kind of um, adventures, if you like, that that's brought her and the kind of, it, it, you know, there's obviously misogyny and difficult experiences. And that's a book I'd absolutely recommend uh, for anybody, but I suppose particularly for women readers, although it has had brilliant feedback from men as well. And um, one we have coming up shortly, uh, again, a different genre, is by Jim Crumley, who I think most people would agree is Scotland's leading nature writer. And this is his kind of magnum opus. It's called Seasons of Storm and Wonder. And it's a book that brings together the work he has been doing in the last five years or more on the seasons and the nature that he observes the wildlife, the landscapes during those seasons, mainly in Scotland, but not entirely. And because this comes at the end of a kind of, well, I won't name the number of decades, but it's north of, you know, 60 years really that he's been mm -hmm. observing and writing about nature. Um, it means that he has this huge long view and, and is able to really see and, and distill very clearly the impact of climate change on climate chaos on the areas that he looks at. So, so the book is it, it's passionate. He is completely uncompromising in defense of nature. And it's absolutely gorgeous writing. He writes beautifully. Um, so this is a book that I, I can foresee being an absolute landmark of nature writing that, that's still going to be on the shelves in 50 years time. It sounds wonderful, but they all sound wonderful books. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been lovely. Thank you very much for having me. I'm now joined by Finlay Robson, the Promotions Coordinator for Artbound Foundation. Hello, Finlay. Hello, Alistair. So can you talk a bit about Artbound and its history? Yeah, sure. So Arcbound started in about in 2015 uh, in Bristol with a grant from the Prince's Trust. Um, basically, the aim was to build a publishing company which publishes books covering important social or environmental themes um, written specifically by authors from disadvantaged backgrounds. So this could be those with like lived experiences of what they're writing about. So, for instance, one of the first Arkbound books that I came across was um, a book called TikTok, It's Time to Listen by a woman called Lauren Smith. So it's a poetry collection um, which details her experience of kind of progressing through the education system whilst on the autism spectrum. Um, so then a way of developing this, the kind of publishing aspect, um, the Arkbound Foundation was started. So the foundation side 
kind of assist the publishing aspect by supporting the writers and helping them grow their skills and their confidence. Um, and this is done through kind of various workshops, events, and like mentorships. Um, for example, we have our um, Writing Within Walls initiative, um, which focuses on mentoring prisoners and ex-offenders um, with a view to building their confidence and hopefully eventually gaining them access into the publishing industry. Um, so the company is kind of is constantly growing and expanding into new areas. Like we just uh, launched a crowdfunding website called Crowdbound, which is another method of supporting creative projects that kind of relate to social justice. Um, yeah, so we have, you know, our fingers in a lot of pies, but there's, I think there's a kind of consistent idea of, of widening access to literature and just kind of aiming to improve diversity in publishing. So I was going to ask you what areas you cover, but it's really more, instead of the types of books, it's more about the writers themselves. Yeah, I guess it's a focus on the individuals and kind of their experiences. And that's kind of what we're trying to get out into the world. And when you're doing uh, the, the courses that you mentioned and the kind of support, are, does everyone get finally published or is it, uh, it, does it depend on, on the individual again? No, it would, de it would depend, yeah. It, it varies. Not everyone would get to publish a book, but um, generally I think we tend to publish books from people that we've, kind of mentored or um we've developed the writing through our, our you know workshops and mentorships yeah and you know this uh, strand is, is kind of looking at new voices how important is it that new voices are published and what are the challenges in doing so i mean you perhaps have different challenges to other publishers yeah i mean i think it's really important um i think the publishing industry and kind of literature in general has kind of always been marked by a sort of like exclusivity or like a kind of superiority complex almost. Like I studied um, literature at university and you kind of see the way that um, classics or books, you know, written by older white guys are, are elevated above authors from more diverse backgrounds or, you know, those with experience of social injustice. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I. I'm not saying classics shouldn't be studied like I, I love classics, but I think the way that those courses are structured or those institutions are structured are kind of emblematic of a wider societal kind of injustice, which I think can be applied to the publishing industry. Um, it is so difficult for writers from disadvantaged backgrounds to break into the industry and get their stuff published because, you know, in part because of that kind of archaic view of, of what literature is. Um, which is perpetuated in you know universities and other and other institutions um and then obviously in addition to that there's you know the stereotypes that authors face so whether they're homeless or they're they're ex-offenders or they're just you know they're from a disadvantaged background they'll constantly be facing pushbacks due to how people perceive them um they might not be what publishers or the public see is you know like real writers whatever that means so um yeah so that's the kind of discrimination that i think arcband is looking to kind of subvert um and try and work with these writers and hopefully help them get a foot in the publishing industry um 
yeah, we're just trying to challenge stereotypes and show that everyone has the right to really, you know, share their story with the world. Well, that kind of feeds into my next question, which is in terms of the business of publishing, what advice would you give to others of those thinking of getting involved? Well, I mean, it's hard. I've only actually been in the industry for about two months, so probably not the I, best person to come okay, to. For maybe it, flip but. it on its head then. What advice were you given before you were getting involved and what advice are you give, being given at the moment? Well, I think working at a place like Artbound, I guess you learn, I've, or I've learned so far, like how important it is to challenge things. It's obviously not your traditional publishing company. Um, but from the small amount of time I've spent there, you can kind of feel the effects of like a kind of systemic disparity between, you know, bigger established companies or genres or demographics of writers um, and then companies like Artbound and what we try and do. So I think, yeah, really just trying to affect change, I think is something that uh, I would recommend or like I would, I would say is really important in the publishing industry and obviously we want to see it expand and include writers with, you know, disabilities or experience of homelessness, etc. Um, and I think the only way that can that can really happen is from the inside. Yeah, it does sound to me though that uh, what you do at Artbound, it's the, the the business isn't the priority for want of a better word. The, you know, it's it's the, the the work as a foundation is the main thing. Yeah, exactly. It's not. I mean, obviously, we need to keep you know we need to keep the company running and everything, but. You know, everyone, everyone with all my colleagues are really passionate about what we do and about, you know, like I said, expanding the industry and just like sharing these really kind of important and unique stories, which otherwise wouldn't be published. So with that in mind, can you tell us a bit about three titles, current or future, that you are excited by that Artbound are dealing with? Yeah, sure. So I think one kind of recent uh publication which I think is really interesting is called Cla uh, Climate Adaptation. So we published that last October um, to coincide with the COP26 uh, summit mm -hmm. um, and as you can probably guess from the title it addresses climate change um, and what I thought was quite unique about it was its kind of collaborative element so it brings together all these case studies and models from 16 authors around the world um, which I think gives, you know, a really big scope to the book's perspective, which is especially important for an issue, you know, as immense as climate change. Um, I think it kind of matches the, the problem's diversity and manages not to focus solely on like a kind of westernized point of view, which is what we're used to. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. And then I think one that we have coming out in just a couple of weeks um, on, I think, 15th of August is a book called Invisible Schemes by John McGlade. Right. Um, so it's a kind of sci-fi urban fantasy set in a Scottish housing scheme. Right. Um, so it's kind of, it's a satirical piece which kind of seeks to shine a spotlight on, uh, you know, Scottish working class communities by presenting it as this kind of like fantastical, inexplicable place, you know, like a strange, mysterious labyrinth with no beginning and no end. Um, and John is from Glasgow, actually. Um, and I think he's just, he's really passionate about showing the um, the deep-rooted hope and kind of 
power at the heart of these smaller communities. Um, and then, yeah, lastly, I would want to touch on um, another upcoming publication, which is called Prickless Gets Caught, um, written by an incredible young woman called uh, Rebecca Buxton, mm -hmm. who is profoundly deaf and dyslexic. Um, and that's going to be released, I think, on the 1st of November. Um, so it has some really cool kind of like interactive elements, um, like games, recipes, like some great illustrations, which can be colored in by by its readers. Um, I think, yeah, it's just like a really heartwarming <clears throat> um, adventure, which can be used to teach children about the importance of determination, human kindness towards animals and nature. Um, yeah, so those, I mean, those would be my my top three. Well, those three sound fascinating books. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing them and reading them. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Finlay. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you. I'm delighted to be joined now by Anne Glennie from Cranachan. Hello, Anne. Hello, Alistair. Can you talk a bit about Cranachan and its history, please? Well, Cranachan is a small independent publisher. We are based on the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides. Uh, I'm very lucky I can see the Atlantic Ocean uh, from my desk. Uh, so uh, that's a big plus point here. Um, I run Cranachan with my husband. So we're just a small husband and wife team. Um, so that's us now in our seventh year because we started in 2016. Uh, and things are going quite well. Um, this year in March, we won um, the small Press of the Year Award at the British Book Awards, and that was for the Scottish region. So that was major for us, it was massive, uh, and it's going to fuel our fire, I think, uh, for a wee while longer. It shows us that we're, you know, what we're doing is, is recognised, what we're doing uh, seems to be working. So um, that was a, a, a huge thing for us this year. And what areas is it that you cover? What's your kind of, uh, uh, the main focus of what you do? Well, we publish um, children's and young adult or teen fiction, uh, but we do that with a Scottish flavour. So that could be that it's a Scottish setting, uh, Scottish characters, the author might be Scottish, uh, or the language used in the book might be Scots, or even occasionally, there's a little smattering of, of Gaelic um, sometimes as well. Um, we have two imprints. We have um, Hokey Hat, and that's our imprint for readers that are aged eight to 12. Uh, and then we have our Gobstopper imprint, and that's our YA imprint or books for teens, if you like. Um, we really cover everything, although we do have a very strong focus on Scottish historical fiction for children because we really found that there was quite a gap in the market there which which we have tried to fill so that's one of our, our, our the main things that we focus on because one of our main markets as well is also schools and teachers uh, I'm a, a former um, primary teacher um, and that's why I'm really passionate about um, publishing for children and getting high quality books that reflect um, Scotland that reflect their experience uh, and getting them you know into their hands uh, in the classroom. I think that's a really important uh, thing to be covering absolutely and how important is it that new voices are published and what are the challenges in doing so looking dealing with young adult and, and, and children's 
writing is are there more new voices are the, are the writers that you deal with almost all new to writing Yes, I mean, something that really um, keeps me going at Cranachan is the fact that when I think about the authors that we've published, um, and in my opinion, I'm biased, of course, the high quality writing and the high quality books that we've published, what amazes me is that many of these books would not have been published if Cranachan hadn't existed. And I, that scares me sometimes because when you see the talent that our authors have, and I think, well, what would have happened uh, if Cranachan didn't exist to, to publish these brilliant books, to get these you know, talented voices out there? So it's absolutely crucial. The challenge for me, uh, while there are, there are, of course, lots of challenges in being an indie publisher, the thing that I suppose bothers me or I find a challenge is, you know, I just find our authors are incredibly talented. And as a small publisher, I just hope that I'm doing their voices, their stories, their books, justice with the limited resources that I have, you know, compared to, let's say, a larger publisher and what they might, the experience might have been for them with a larger publisher who had, you know, more funds, more marketing, uh, more everything. But I guess, as you say, perhaps the chances are they wouldn't have got picked up at all. It's interesting because there was this myth for a while that um, children and young adults kind of have moved away from reading but it seems to me that young adult in particular is an area which has actually grown in recent years is that something you've found? I think that the lockdown really everybody knows that that fueled reading in a in a massive way you know look at things like even just book talk on TikTok for example there's this resurgence of interest in reading which can only be a good thing um, I'm always you know, with my teacher hat on, uh, I, I'm also a literacy consultant. My concern is always about um, keeping reading going in the advent of, you know, everyone having a, a phone in their hand. Um, so things like book talk, I just hope, you know, things like lockdown, I hope these things continue to have that impact and that that, that resurgence is sustained in reading, particularly for young people and teenagers when there are so many demands on their time mm. when they all have devices where they can choose to do anything yeah. on that phone you know and sometimes reading um can be perhaps seen as a you have to put a bit of effort in <laughs> to to get the reward and um, so yeah i'm i'm hopeful that, that those gains will will be sustained and that feeds a little bit into my next question which is about the business of publishing what advice would you give to others or those thinking about getting involved well, being um, it, well, being in any kind of startup is tough, but being a startup publisher is, I would say, particularly tough. Um, you really need to do your homework, uh, and in particular, do your sums. Um, I, I really suppose, came into the business quite naively, thinking that loving books <laughs> would be enough. Um, but it's not enough when you start to look at the figures, the, the margins are so tight. Um, you know, if you think that what, what really shocked me when I entered the industry was when I started to discover um, the deep discounts that were required to sell your books. So you have to think very carefully about how you're going to make it um, work for you. Because, you know, once you've printed your book, once you've paid your authors, your distributor, your sales and marketing, um, 
you don't have a lot left um, to work with. Um, now, yes, I'm giving a bit of a warning, but on the positive side, I was very lucky to be involved with the Publishing Scotland programme Accelerate training, and that was for new publishers. And there was a whole um, squad, really, of new publishers that um, started around the same time as Karanakin. Um, so publishing houses like 404 Inc., Charcoal Press, uh, Scotland Street Press, Little Door Books. And you know what? Despite the challenges, and these, uh, you know, small publishing houses are, are, are still absolutely going strong and are still on the scene. So if you're determined, if you're passionate, uh, you know, and if that determination is limitless, then it's absolutely possible. Yeah, that, and that is great to hear. So finally, uh, Anne, can you tell us a bit about three of your current or future titles that you're excited about? Well, gosh, there's so much to be excited about at the moment. Um, very excited about our uh, main release for 8 to 12 this year, which is The Rewilders by Lindsay Littleson. We're especially excited because it has orange sprayed edges, so it's a beautiful um, book to behold. But we're also really excited because Lindsay's appearing at the school's gala day at the Edinburgh International Book Festival, um, and that's part of their special schools programme. So there's going to be, I believe, quite a few children there listening to Lindsay um, talking about rewilding and about her book that essentially deals with two children. They have to essentially rewild uh, a lynx kitten uh, that one of their grants has accidentally stolen. So it's about their journey into the Scottish Highlands uh, and rewilding um, this beautiful animal. Um, another book that we have coming out this year, it's um, part of our YA fantasy series, The Four Treasures by Caroline Logan. And this is going to be the fourth and final book in the series. So if you like YA fantasy with a twist, it's a twist on the world of fae or fairies. Um, because it's all based on Scottish myths and legends and it has a kind of Scottish feeling landscape as well. So there's three previous books to get your teeth into before the Spear of Truth comes out on the 6th of October. And then just as we tease, the last one, it's not been officially announced yet, really I suppose till now, it's one by one of our main authors, Barbara Henderson, and this one is called Rivet Boy. Again, it's for eight to 12s. Um, this one is based on real events and real people. It's Scottish historical fiction. And this follows one boy's role in the building of the iconic fourth rail bridge in Victorian times. Now, this was a major project, of course, to be involved in. And our hero of the story is John Nicholl. He, this was a, a, a real boy who, who was alive and lived and worked on the bridge. He's sent, after his father dies, he's sent to work on the bridge um, because he has become the breadwinner for the family. There's only one snag. He is afraid of heights. Um, uh, it's a fabulous book because it's based on stuff that's real. It really happened. It brings the bridge to life. The bridge is an actual character in the book. Um, but the flip side to that is John finds solace in the first Carnegie Library. Right. In Scotland, so he befriends the librarian. Um, so it has this lovely contrast of the two, the noise of the bridge and then the quiet solace that he finds in the library. So that's one to watch for out in February next year. That sounds fantastic. Well, thank you, Anne, for taking the time to talk to me. It's been lovely talking to you. 
Oh, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have a wee chat and tell everybody what we're up to here. So thanks so much for having me on. I'm now joined by Nathaniel Konitsky, publisher of Night Errant Press. Hello, Nathaniel. Hiya. Nice so first you. of all, can you tell us about Night Errant and its history? Well, Night is quite a young press, as far as I'm aware. Um, <laughs> it started in 2017 with an idea for an anthology I had around gender and gender identity, uh, based on my personal experience of trying to find um, writing that was a bit more approachable than sociology books or very often traumatic uh, autobiographical accounts. I wanted something not necessarily lighthearted, but just a variety of formats that kind of explore gender and that came from the UK um, because a lot of the things that I was interested in reading from the LGBT side of uh, publishing was uh, outsourced, sourced in from the U US publishers. And I thought that was quite a shame because I thought we had quite a big community in the UK. And then um, when the anthology came to be, I thought, well, since I've already done one book, I might as well set up a press and see where it takes me. Um, and that's how Night Aaron came to be. And um, it's been going for the last uh, four, four years. Yeah. Um, and we started off with uh, a couple of publications. And because it's something that um, I'm doing beside my other employment and uh, commitments, it's it's going to stay a micro press. Uh, but I'm, I'm we're aiming as a as a group. I have a few uh, people working with me uh, to make it a sustainable long term micro press so that it continues publishing people um, for a long time, um, even though it's like a, it's a very small scale that we work on. And what areas do you specialize in? Uh, we specialize in well, I think people would consider us a queer press based on. A, how many queer writers have published and we've kind of taken that mantle on. I don't think, I think we started off uh, looking for LGBT voices and uh, BPOC voices and uh, just a variety of uh, uh, voices and writers and stories. Uh, and I think that's, uh, it's not necessarily specialism, but it is considered a niche. So I would say uh, LGBTQI literature plus other diverse and intersectional writers and stories um, and we do a variety of formats as well, although our preferences for the shorter format, so short story collections, poetry, uh, flash fiction uh, novellas or shorter novels and uh, short graphic novels. And how important is it that new voices are published and what are the challenges in doing so? I actually found that quite a difficult question. I was thinking about it because, um, and I realized that it's not new voices that it's great to have new voices, new people, everything, new generation, blah, blah, blah. If we had the same people published all the time, which we do sometimes, yeah. <laughs> it gets a bit boring. <laughs> you, you don't get uh, new readers by publishing yeah. uh, the same stuff over and over. But the problem, I think, is uh, not publishing a variety of voices. So it's not always the newness that matters, like the new debut, new this, new that, but it's the variety of people, stories and points of view that get published that I think matters a bit more. And um, it is difficult. Um, 
I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's a practical difficulty in publishing new people. Uh, I think um, apart from sometimes I think publishers don't take a risk on developing writers. So they will take people who um, have either worked so long on their manuscript, it's on, it's practically ready to go, or people who have a real long um, history of writing and maybe have not been published yet, but have a lot of experience writing and maybe don't take chances or risks of developing works as much as they used to. Um, so that's maybe the practical barrier. Uh, I think everything else really is a, um, like a format barrier. Again, everybody writes novels. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think there's also the issue of, I'm this kind of person and I also happen to be the editor. I happen to be in this kind of environment, I know these kind of people believe in these sorts of things. So I will unconsciously or pick things that fit within that world. Uh, and even if they stand out, it's within my limits of um, acceptance. I think that's why small independent publishers are so important because then you do get a kind of hopefully wider variety of, of, of styles and writers and voices. Yeah. And in terms of the business of publishing, what advice would you give to others or those thinking about getting involved? Uh, You've got a smile on your face. I think um, first and foremost, people need to understand that publishing, as much as we work with books and artists and writers and stories, it's a business. And I think, sorry, the business side advice would be, um, remember that it's a job, uh, that you have rights, uh, that you shouldn't just do overtime for no pay because you love books. Yeah. Um, and a business that makes you do that isn't one that's run well. Um, publishing finally has unions. So consider joining one or uh, setting one up if your work conditions aren't up to standard. Um, and um, in terms of starting one's own business, um, it's hard work, <laughs> many unpaid hours. Uh, it is very rewarding, which is why I keep doing it. Um, I do love supporting people. I love bringing new voices out in the world. I love the feedback. I love that when I meet readers and when the authors are, uh, when I'm launching the authors in their career, that's something that Aaron does quite a lot is um, being the step into the bigger world of publishing for authors. And that in itself is, a, I think, a great thing to do. Um, but when you set up, I think it's important that people realize the time commitment, the the very real emotional burnout of working on unpaid and on all these projects and um, that it's important to have capital and funding to start these things up. I feel like my advice went kind of scattered. <laughs> I love doing what I do because uh, while I work a very different job um, and that actually gives me a good work-life balance and I, I get good pay for what I do, I then am able to like fulfill myself creatively and in my professional while doing night errand. And I'm super grateful for that. And I'm quite happy with it as it is because whenever some publishing opportunities in terms of work come up, I find that they always fall below my expectation of uh, work-life balance, but also especially pay, which yeah. is really disheartening. <laughs> and I know that that pay, even if it's a bit higher, will then be, oh, but can, you know, 
can you stay for the weekend can you work in the evenings and things so i think a lot of people will recognize that and uh and that's very practical uh, advice but you mentioned rewards so let's talk about some of those yeah. rewards can you tell us about three of your current or future titles that you're excited about oh um so can't quite mention them because they've not been announced. Right. But um, my uh, most recent title, uh, Tamlin by Evan Wildsmith, uh, is a really beautiful graphic novel. And, and it was like the first for me to work on a full length um, graphic storytelling and edit it as well. Um, so that's been out since November last year, but it's, uh, it's an all year season type of book. Um, it's a retelling of a uh, classic uh, folk song from the borders and for the borders of Scotland, but yeah. the borders area, uh, called Ta uh, Tamalin, and it has a, ver a, a variation of names, but um, the author gender bent the story and uh, changed some of the details. And it's, it's very beautiful and it's quite empowering. And uh, the next stories that we will be publishing, I can tell like vague details because yeah. Uh, the ones that we actually signed uh, on will be published uh, next year, and uh, they all feature some sort of element of folklore retelling or um, maybe a little bit of unease and uncanny horror and deal with uh, like quite con contemporary issues. And I'm trying, trying not to give too much away. I think I'm being quite weak, but yes, they're, mo they're mostly probably would be novellas as well. Right. Um, so in line with my current obsession with short form, um, and we've been having a lot of great submissions uh, to a point where I'm feeling like I'm having to shortlist before I make decisions because every next one I read is very high quality. So I'm just creating a shortlist before I make my final decision. Well, we'll look out for uh, those when they are published. It sounds very interesting. Um, thank you, Nathaniel. It's been really good to talk to you. I'm joined now by publisher and co-founder of Charcoal Press, Samuel McDowell. Hello, Samuel. Hi, Alistair. How are you? It's a pleasure to speak to you. I'm very well, thanks. <laughs> so first of all, can you tell us a bit about Charcoal Press and its history? Sure. So Charcoal Press, uh, we're an Edinburgh-based publisher. I started by myself and my partner. Um, our first books came out in 2017. And our focus is on contemporary Latin American literature. So um, so books coming out in, in that part of the world that uh, that we then translate from either the Spanish or the Portuguese, in the case of it's coming out from Brazil, into English to then be made available to, to readers in the UK and beyond, to, to English-speaking readers. Um, and in that time, uh, you know, we've, we've had a lot of uh, quite uh, great, great critical success or great critical feedback in what we're doing. And I, I I think I'd have to mention that our, our, our proudest achievement is, in, is that in that time, we've had three finalists for the International Booker Prize, which is the biggest prize that, that we can possibly participate in with our translated works. And I was going to ask you what areas you specialize in, but that kind of is what you specialize in. <laughs> why did you choose? That's, I'm interested in why that was something you chose to focus on. Sure. Um, so translated fiction is an area that um, that we feel is, is is probably poorly represented in the Anglophone world. Um, uh, my partner, the other co-founder of, of Charco, is uh, is a specialist in Latin American literature, and she she uh, was also a teacher of, of, of it at university. 
Um, and when we were actually traveling and living in, in Latin America, we were looking at some of the authors and some of the literature that was sort of making waves in that part of the world. And we would look and check to see what was available in English, mainly because my Spanish was not very good, um, in order to uh, for me to read it. And, and we just noticed that, that it just very little was made, it was making it through. Um, and we thought that it was, uh, that wasn't right. We thought that, that readers here should have the opportunity to explore these voices. A lot of them get, get translated into European languages, into French, German, Italian, some into Chinese, Hebrew, but so few of them make it through into English because in the Anglophone world, our consumption of translated works is, is very, very small. So just in fiction, you're looking at around about 4% of all fiction um, sold in this country was actually originally written in another language to English. And you compare that to European nations where it's more like on sort of 12 to 18%. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's just something that uh, that we felt, you know, we need to provide this bridge and this opportunity uh, because it's it's so important to have these ideas shared, you know, and to and to and to read about other people's experiences that are outside your own lives and, and your own experience, and and learn what it is that's different, but also more importantly, what it is that makes us very very similar, no matter where we're from. That maybe adds another dimension to this next question. This podcast is focusing on new voices. Um, how important is it that new voices are published and what are the challenges in doing so? You may have different challenges from most. Yeah, so I guess we can look at this. There's probably a different different interpretations of, of, of what new voices mean. So it could be an author, a Scottish author, who's, who's you know, just trying to get their first book published. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, the importance of, of new voices in that aspect being brought out and being made available to, to readers, I think is extremely important. Our new voices are, are, are slightly different. We're talking about authors that are that are established, are prize-winning authors that have um, have you know they've got a career of of, of books under their under their belts, um, but they've never been made available in English, uh, and so so they're a new voice to to English readers. Um, but the importance of that is it touches on what I was just referring to before. It's around that sharing of cultures. It's that you know. Storytelling and sharing of stories is, is such a core part of what it is to be human and, and it's how we understand each other. So if we're trying to really understand the world we live in and, and other cultures that we live with as well, um, uh, you know, for us, it's very important that we that we are providing the ability to share these stories across those cultures and across those languages. Yeah, that's interesting because we often talk about the importance of uh, diverse voices, but often we look upon that on a national level rather than an international level. Exactly. Diversity, I think, you know, you, you can you can can be cut a number of different ways. Um, it, it, it's important at a national level, but, you know, it's also important to say, you know, well, let's let's look at what's happening um, in countries in, in Asia, in, in Latin America, in Africa. And, you know, it's it's where there's underrepresentation within a country, maybe they are a developing nation and they don't have a big, big literary scene. But, um, you know, we've got next year our, our first author from Bolivia that we're bringing out. And, you know, Bolivia, you just you never come across, very rarely come across a Bolivian author that's available in English. And so that sort of um, diversity, I think, is, is, is really important as well with, in terms of, you know, new voices and, and making sure that, you know, not everybody has to read this, but if it's available and, and people find it and enjoy it and they and they and they you know 
learn to maybe live a live a day in someone else's shoes as it were um i think it's uh, i think it's really important yeah absolutely and if it's not available they definitely won't read it so yeah. exactly yeah it's it's a yeah it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah <laughs> exactly and in terms of the business side of publishing what advice would you give to others uh all those thinking of getting involved yeah don't do it no no <laughs> no Someone no, was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, it was always going to be me, I'm sure. Um, Alistair, I think the question, the way you've, you've asked, it's quite quite well put, the business of publishing, because publishing, publishing a book is actually pretty easy. Um, getting out there and, you know, getting a book and, and getting it to print and et cetera. So, that, so that, that side of it is easy. The business of publishing is hard. There's a lot of challenges out there um, within the industry, that uh, that just make it very difficult for independent publishers to to sort of get a get a get a toehold. Um, I won't bore you with all the, the big long list of 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 the, what those challenges are, but um, it is it is really tricky. And so my advice would be not not get into it. But my advice would be to really take some time to try and understand what those challenges are. Speak to some independent publishers get um, bodies like Publishing Scotland, for example, who are, who are you know, a really great um, resource for, for publishers here in Scotland. And, um, and really try and make sure you have, you go in with your eyes open, is what I would say, uh, that you're not just thinking, oh, I've got a passion for publishing books, because at the end of the day, that becomes the easiest part and kind of the most enjoyable part. There's all these other things you have to get sorted out as well. Well, talking about passion, I was wondering if you could tell us about three of your current or future titles that you're excited about. Yeah, sure. So I, the first one I was going to mention was um, Elena Knows by Claudia Pinheiro. Um, and this is by an um, Argentinian author. And this was shortlisted for the International Booker Prize this year. So um, just a couple of months ago, we were down in London for, for that prize. So um, it's a great book that um, really has a quite a fan. It's a bit of a mystery, a little bit of a sort of a, uh, and there's a real twist at the end that, uh, that uh, everybody sort of gets knocked sideways by the second book i wanted to talk about has just come out in july this is by mexican author ave barrera it's called the forgery and this is a really fun summer read um often people think about translated fiction as being quite hard and dense and or difficult but this is a, just this is kind of a caper of a, a forger who's been given a, a a task to try and um, recreate an artwork by sort of a underworld figure and it's a sort of a caper across the city um, a really, really good, getting a lot of great feedback for, for, for summer. So that one's uh, something I'd recommend. And the other one I thought I would talk to you about really quickly. This is called Homesick by Jennifer Croft. Now, this is actually the reason I want to talk about this one. It's coming out in a couple of months, but um, it's because this is the first of what is called our untranslated series, just to be confusing. This one was a book that was originally written in English by Jennifer Croft. Jennifer is a translator, a very, very, very well-known translator. She does work for us and um, as well as many other publishers. Um, but this is a book that she's written herself. So that's us branching out into extending what we do into not just translated fiction, but something that still has a connection to translation, but was written originally in English. So they're the three I thought I wanted to talk to you about today. Are they all sound fantastic. Samuel, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been great. Absolute pleasure, Alistair. Thank you for the time. And I'm now joined by Shah Nazir, publisher from BHP Comics. Hello, Shah. Hey, Alistair, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. First of all, can you tell us about BHP Comics and its history? Sure, yeah, we're, 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 a, we're a small kind of, kind of essentially kind of boutique um, indie publisher um, 
focusing on comic books and graphic novels. And we started out making floppy comics, which are sort of like monthly comics. Okay. Back when we started out and then, um, which wasn't really great for the UK kind of market. And then we moved from that into, into a hybrid version of what we are now, which is, um, which is the book market and the comic specialist market. Um, so making books with spines, having shelf life and, and doing all that kind of stuff. I have to ask, what exactly does floppy comics uh, refer to? So floppy comics are comics which are basically staple bound. Right. So staple bound, and they have they have no they have no physical spine. Yeah. So hence they're called floppies, and they're they're the, the the cover weight is the same as the internal weight. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Which is a very technical publisher thing to talk about. Yeah. Well, that's why we're here. But yeah. uh, I wanted to ask you actually. Um, is publishing comics markedly different to other types of publications? Yeah, it really is. And I think the more I've kind of got into understanding how the book market works in the UK and, and abroad, the more I kind of see how different and how much more specialised comics publishing is and graphic novel publishing is than, than um, in publishing mainstream horror or graphic novel, you know, horror novels or, or poetry or... or um, general fiction it's it's the, the, there's there's much more aligned with all of those things than there is there is with, with making comics and graphic novels so it makes it um it's yes it's, its own little thing uh, and it takes it takes a while to unwrap and unravel what those things are and how it works um because even like basics of like you know it physically costs mm -hmm. for, you know creative production it physically costs much more money to make um, a story in a graphic novel form than it does to send off a writer and kind of go maybe the next crime masterpiece do you know yeah. where one person goes off and then an editor drops in every now and then uh whereas we've got you know a colorist a, a writer an artist an editor and a possibly an inker um a designer then it's all there's a, there's a lot more pieces to the puzzle yeah i hadn't really thought about that before but i guess even for something like one um a comic as everyone would understand it there's a whole team of people needed for that yeah yeah it's much more akin much more aligned with with how theater productions are made and with with screen media you know so the sort of obviously screen media is is comics multiplied by a thousand in terms of the number of creatives that's required to, to make something kind of happen but um there's the sort of parallels between those and particularly between that and and stage um, performance is is much closer you know because you're working inside a box yeah and your visual and narrative storytelling and someone is setting the stage and someone is coloring the stage and all of those yeah. things yeah. and in terms of what you cover at bhp do you have genres that you go into or is it just whatever uh, you think is worthwhile telling well we, we started out we started out kind of i think we started out making things that we just wanted to make which is something is, as a publisher is always a good place to kind of work from, something that you like. And then I started experimenting with genres and doing different kinds of stuff. Um, and you discover what works and what doesn't work. And then, and now I've just kind of gone back to kind of just going, what's the zeitgeist? Where are we right now? And actually, what is it that I want to make? And what's interesting? What's fun? So, so yes, we do have, we do have horror. We don't have horror, but we do have, um, like sci-fi and cyberpunk, speculative fiction, um, with feminist um, and proactive kind of comics, which are kind of a little bit of kind of like a learning strand of what we do. Um, 
and and try and, and kind of create things that are that yes have a message and have a, like a good moral or ethical kind of background and a spine that we can dress some fantastical stuff around you know and it's only recently only this past only this year that we've started making superhero comics which we never touched before right we were like we're not going to make superhero comics we're not because you know everyone else does it and it's like everyone's doing a great job of doing it so it was the, the sort of the remit for us was only if we ever found the right thing that we wanted to make and had the right story mm -hmm. at the right time then we would make it so we did and we we kind of got into that space and found the right story and the right people to work on it and the right kind of creative teams and then and that's all kind of come together yeah. And part of what we're looking at with these podcasts and the events that are linked to it are new voices and how important it is for new voices to come through. Yeah. And uh, is that the, the case with uh, the comic book world and graphic novels that you need? It's important to get new voices in there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's always like for us. It's always there's always been that element there of developing new voices and getting people across and getting put getting people to put other people over so we have you know because we have established names that also work with us mm -hmm. it's great for them because they they're already in a place and then they add a value to us and then they add a value to those to those other artists and, and writers that are that are working alongside us who are new and emerging names and they get to help them put them over you know yeah um, and uh, and for us, particularly, you know, particularly for me, it's become much more prevalent in the past kind of few years for me to kind of find voices that are that are not just white voices. It's to find people of color who are working in comics um, or want to work in comics and to get them to tell tell their stories or start telling stories through through their own kind of words and, and pictures. So so the, actually, the, the the most recent work that we did, which is a superhero slash spy slash fantastical adventure stuff that we did um are all main i think 90 percent of the creative teams across all four books are all people of color um from across the uk which is great and all and pretty much most of them are all brand new yeah and i was that's what i was thinking is because for you it's not just saying new voices new writers but it's new voices <laughs> new artists New, you know, there's not colorist. There's all sorts of different things. And do you then have the, you know, think well, I'll pair this new uh, artist with this more established writer, or things yeah. like that that you're thinking about? Yeah, I mean, th that kind of stuff does kind of go through our minds if, if it's the right kind of pairing and if it's the right kind of person. But for the majority of the teams that we put together, there was maybe someone who had just been emerging with somebody new, completely new, you know. Um, and there was only one case where we had two completely brand new mm -hmm. writer and artist that came on board, um, but they they both blew us away with what the kind of creative works that they made, um, and they were just you know they we did also did it as a mentoring project as well, so we mentored them as we were doing the creative works, and I think that really helped them understand who we are, understand what kind of kind of industry expectations there would be. Um, and what we were expecting that kind of in that kind of world and then i think that helped inform them more and drove them more kind of forward in, in creating what, what what they ended up making so and in terms of the business of publishing what advice would you give to others or those thinking about getting involved um i give the same advice that that um that, that, that tony bennett who's uh, you're probably not familiar with but he's a publisher at knockabout right graphic novels who's based down in England and he's 
been a long-standing publisher in, in the UK scene for you know for the past kind of 20, 30 years and published everything from Alan Moore to Neil Gaiman and, and all those kind of guys, Hunt Emerson. Um, and uh, and he said to me that he thought it was crazy for anyone <laughs> to go into publishing comics or graphic novels. You know, and you never quite understand the realism of what he says, but it's really, really hard and it's really, really difficult. Um, so yeah. So what was the question? Was the question? Do I have a nugget of a, a nugget of advice? <laughs> Any advice? And then you smiled on your face and you were thinking about the advice that you'd been given. <laughs> the advice I was given was was don't do it because it's really, really, really hard. Um, unless you absolutely love it, mm. you know, unless you absolutely love it and you have an absolute passion for, for what it is that you want to, to do. And I think as a publisher, normally as a publisher, you have to be, you have to be an, an, apt, an absolute optimist mm -hmm. in, in all forms, because you're always taking a risk and, and it's never a calculated risk in some cases because it's, because you don't know what people will like or not like. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You know? So it, it has to come from a, a place where a you believe what you're making, um, you believe in the creative people that you're working with, um, and as long as you, you never lose sight of what it is why you're doing it, then that'll help you drive forward. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, could you tell us about three of your current or future titles that you're excited about? Um, I'm excited to sort of get the release of um, our new kind of superhero kind of lineup coming out. They're, those are all one-shot comics, so they're 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 called Storm Hunter, um, Principal, The Losers Club, and The Agents of MI7, and and all four books of those. They're all so they're we've kind of gone old school and we've gone we've made them as floppies, right. uh, and uh, but they're all independent one-shot stories. But there's a narrative thread that runs through all of them, so right. that'll be that'll be released later or early next year as a collected edition called Age of Powers, um, and then next year we've got the we've got the final version, the final um, volume of Kiltopia Volume Five coming out, um, and that, that's a that's a big cyberpunk um, book for us, and it's done it's done really really well. Right. Um, and it's been, been currently being adapted into a TV show and all, all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of exciting things happening around it just now. And that's it. That's, that's all I can remember. <laughs> well, Sha, thank you very much for taking You're the time to talk to me. It's been fascinating. That's great. Cheers. Thank you, everyone. And to round up this new Voices podcast, I'm now joined by Vicky Riley from Publishing Scotland. Hello, Vicky. Hello. So first of all, how does Publishing Scotland support new voices and new writers? Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, being published in Scotland, our main remit is to support publishers. But over the last few years, and particularly during the, the, the pandemic, we decided to do a little bit more of the customer facing stuff, which would therefore promote the authors of our member publishers more as well as um, the, the work that we do with our publishers. So we've been doing a lot of events, particularly with um, with new writers. We've done a lot of debut showcases. Um, so not just for the event that we've done with, with um, the book festival, which we did this year and last year, and uh, but during Book Week Scotland, we've been doing a lot of work with Book Week Scotland, particularly promoting debut writers. And we do a lot of promotions online as well for our debut writers, just like sort of roundups and, and things like that for um, the book 
um, Books from Scotland site. So Books from Scotland is the website that's part of Publishing Scotland, which is more of a customer facing site. And it's about promoting all the books from Scotland and all the authors from Scotland. So we do regular features with debut authors and we do um, uh, lots of different stuff, not only with Books from Scotland, but also with um, Scottish Books International, which is also another part of the, the, the company as well, which seeks more to, to promote um, our authors abroad. Mm -hmm. And we've been, again, we've been doing lots of profiles and, and things like that for, for that website too. And particularly this, this year as well with Year of Scotland Stories, we've, we've been doing a lot more extra online stuff too. So um, creative responses to, to books, which is mostly, um, mostly new books, a couple of classics, but mostly new books. And, um, you know, publisher profiles and um, book recommendations to read. So we just we just try and make sure that the, the new voices get shouted out <laughs> about as much as we can. <laughs> and I suppose for you, new voices, it's not just new writers, but new publishers as well. Yeah, because oftentimes it's the new publishers that bring a lot of the new voices to the public as well. I mean, independent publishing is probably at the forefront of finding new voices um, uh, for, for us to, to read. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's um, independent publishers that are, you know, making the bulk of the book or short, uh, long list this, this time round and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, so we've had, we've got as, we've got as many members as we've ever had. There's new micro presses all the time. Um, join in publishing Scotland and it's really great to see that there's just such an energy from people around the country to 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 work in publishing and to bring bring new books to, to, to readers across the country. And do you think that's increased over recent times that there are uh, more small independent publishers that are, are, are appearing and, and doing it for themselves? Yeah definitely I think because because of technology it's easier to to create books now and to publish books you know um, uh, everything can be done digitally, like the creation of the book, the editorial and all that kind of stuff, but also a lot of marketing and things can be done online and through digital means too. Um, so yeah, I think um, it's never been, well, I say it's never been easier, but it's also never been more challenging as well, because there's always challenges, particularly for new publishers to, to break through and, and um, um, sustain what they're doing. And what practical advice does Publishing Scotland offer uh, in terms of support for individuals or companies uh, involved in the business of books? Well, I mean, that's that's our whole remit, really, is that that is what we do. We're, a, we're, a we're an organisation that, that gives practical help to um, to our member publishers. So we do tons of training on all different aspects of publishing from proofreading to editorial, but we're, even, we're doing a lot more digital um, training at the moment, particularly with marketing, and we're even doing... Um, a TikTok session next month because you know that's that's the the biggest craze and and um, getting books and readers hands and it does work so it's yeah. a very useful thing to to know about but we're also doing things like Amazon master classes to help you um, be able to sell your books through Amazon better and um, we do a lot of networking for them as well so they get to meet the the key personnel for in, in the trade as well to, to make sure that they that they they get their books into the to the bookshops as well. We do um, we've got our fellowship coming up um, uh, this this month, and that's when we bring um, publishers from across the world to Scotland, and we we 
take them round Scotland to meet our publishers so that they can do rights deals and and, um, and and meetings like that. So we really we really um, champion and advocate and give the practical um, inf information and opportunities to to all the, the the member publishers that that we have. And for people listening to this or watching this, how best to get that from you? How best to get in touch with you? Well, I mean, we've got a criteria to be a member, so you have to have published at least two books that aren't your own. Mm -hmm. um, and you also have to have like a plan to publish more. But but that's that, I think that's that's a pretty um, um, pretty decent criteria for, for for new people to be able to join us, and then you get in touch with our member membership manager um, uh, Lucy Feather, and then um, we talk through um, uh, just all the thing that all the bits and bobs that we need um, from from publishers and from us, and we explain what we do and all the member benefits and all that kind of thing. So if you just go into the Publishing Scotland website, that's probably the best port of call because all the information is there and then once you join you get to to meet the rest of the team and we can we go over all our different remits and um and and then that's how we start working together and and this event kind of has and, and events you talked about elsewhere have really brought together writers and publishers in a way that maybe hasn't happened so much in the past is the kind of understanding of each other's roles a really important one I think so, because a lot of a lot of the time, um, folk think that that publishing is a bit of a, a mystery. It's a bit of a, <laughs> a dark art or a dark <laughs> industry, and um, uh, and and also I think people that enjoy reading are actually quite fascinated by the publishing process. So they so it just it seems um, normal to us to be able to to host events and to do events where we sort of lay bare what the processes are and and and. Um, and introduce people to the work that goes behind bringing bringing the book to, to to the reader. And tell us a little bit about the relationship between the book festival and Publishing Scotland, because you're partnering up for this event. So it'd be nice to know what that relationship is like. Yeah, we do various things with the book festival. Um, so for the book festival proper, we make we we are we're the sort of liaison um, between the book festival and our member publishers to, for example, to get their books into the bookshop, mm -hmm. um, and for the various different promotions in the Edinburgh Book Festival bookshop, and um, we also host um, pitching sessions with the book festival way like months in advance of the festival, so that our member publishers can pitch their authors to the festival as well. And then we also collaborate on events like this. Um, so there's events that, that we host as well, like the, 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 the one with um, uh, this this week, but, um, but also we help because they do a lot of business with book events. They've, they've got more, which is more than the one that we're doing with them. And we just sort of advise them on the kind of issues, questions, people that they could get in touch with just to, to help them make sure that um that the that, that, that those events um work really well too so it's just it's just a, a general collaborative um relationship and also with the scottish books international strand of what we do the book festival is our partner in that as well so we we work closely together with the festival to um because as well as of us promoting our publishers abroad we work with them to promote not only our publishers and our authors, but our festivals and our events and our, our whole trade, really, just to, to show the world. Scotland's damn good at what, 
at the book industry. <laughs> That's a perfect place to leave it. Vicky, thanks for talking to me. It's always a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed the Shaping Scotland Stories New Voices podcast. Thanks to Edinburgh International Book Festival for asking Scots Wehe to be involved. And thanks to all our publishers for talking to us, as well as the book festivals, Sophie Moxon and Vicky Riley from Publishing Scotland. And if you enjoyed what you've heard, then you may want to check out the rest of Scots Wehe's podcasts, which you'll find over at scotswehe.com. But for now, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your book. Festival.